This episode of Hockey Press Pass is presented in part by Instat Hockey, the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village, and by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Michael Russo, who are three of the most impactful influences on your media career? Um, definitely David J. Neal. Uh, David J. Neal is the longtime uh, Florida Panthers beat writer for the Miami Herald. And uh, when I first met him, extremely intimidating. Uh, look, felt to me like he'd been doing this job forever. And um, he, even though he was my competitor, Sun Sentinel really uh, worked hard to take me under his wing. He, I look back at a lot of the things I do now, and it's stuff that I watched him do. You know, writing with music, um, you know, paying it forward to young sports writers now, showing them. I mean, even just little stressful stuff like how to get to a press box in an arena, how to get into an arena. Um, David J. Neal was always super kind to me. Um, Jeff Remmer, longtime Florida Panthers play-by-play uh, -play guy, now has been in columbus since uh really the uh first lockout and he um absolutely is somebody that just was a mentor me down in florida um you know get, you know really helped me with scoops getting getting to know people when you're a young sports writer it's really important i think to find and that person that um has no problem being your mentor and and jeff Fern was definitely that for me and then on the editor side uh mark wallam he was my longtime editor at the Star Tribune. Now he's at the Athletic. He just makes my writing better all the time. Oh, that's awesome! And I'm 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 actually really touched by the David J. Neal uh, selection. I knew you were friends and close. Yeah. I knew David uh, well and uh, miss him. But to hear like a competitor uh, be so good to you back then, yeah. I, I didn't know to that extent. That is just that's really really awesome. Welcome to Hockey Press Pass, presented by Instat Hockey, the Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village and by HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Our guest is Michael Russo, who's covered the NHL for the last quarter century plus and is now the senior writer on the Minnesota Wild and League Beat for The Athletic. Mike could also be seen on Valley Sports, Net, uh, Sports North and the NHL Network, and it's no surprise he has two podcasts, Worst Seats in the House and Straight from the Source, that are hugely, hugely popular. Deservedly, Mike was the recipient in two, 2017 of the first-ever Red Fisher Award as Best Beat Writer in the NHL. It is because of his exhaustive but never exhausting coverage that I really wanted Michael to do this show all season. And, and thank you so much for doing this, bud. Thanks, Chris. It's great seeing you again. Uh, you know, you were absolutely one of the best PR guys ever. And you know my allegiance to Nassau Coliseum and the Islanders. I used to love going into that building and always seeing you there to help out anytime I needed anybody on the Islanders. It was always great. Thank you, Michael. I mean, that means a lot. And we will uh, talk about your time on the island. I should have pointed out at the, at the top of the show that Mike has spent a, a formative part of his childhood on Long Island. Uh, my first question to you, though, is... You, you you deservedly won the award for best beat writer. You've been one of the best for a long time. Those are my words. You don't have to be humble about it. A lot of people think that. But did was there a point in your career where you started to build upon like your strategy, your process to go up how to go about covering a team? All around from blog posts to how I do it on social, which evolved over the years, to what I want to do for 
different additions? Like, is it something that's evolved over time? It definitely has, especially with the evolution of, of social media. It's a different world now from when I first uh, started in this business. Um, but I, I think it started at a young age. You know, I started as a sports writer at 15 years old and um, worked with some incredible sports writers at the Sun Sentinel down there. And I just, I really have, I, I really grew up in a newspaper, you know, in a newsroom. And I am somebody that has always. Um, really kept his eyes open to try to learn from everybody else, whether that was veteran hockey writers or just people inside. Um, in, in, I mean, I still remember words of wisdom from so many different sports writers at, at the Sun Sentinel. Um, and I think that I just, over time, you know, I wanted to be somebody that wrote for the fans. And if you could not watch a, a Panther game or a wild game that you, after reading me, felt like you were at the game, or if you weren't paying attention to the Panthers to the Wild, that you felt like there's nothing about those two teams that you wouldn't learn by just reading it, whether it was just writing a game day notebook and being in the locker room and listening to funny quips or coming up with actual breaking news. And, um, you know, I've always I've, I've always said that it's much, much more important to have a, a quality work ethic than being a, a good writer. And I think that has been something that I, probably is uh, – you know, epitomize my career. I'm a much better reporter than writer. And um, it's just something that I've always wanted to be the one-stop shop for the team that I'm covering. When the job became about more than just writing for a newspaper, uh, some writers, and I get it, you know, there was a reluctance there. I, I remember one telling me, you know, I don't get paid to write three posts and updated it. Now, what I what I recall, what I think is right, is that early on you accepted, embraced it, sort of as an opportunity. I mean, I, you know, your stuff with yeah. the Panthers, it was a place where you're, it seemed to me you were just unloading your notebook, almost like, hey, if, if anything, accuse me of, of giving me too much information, right? Yep. But was it just something where you just, well, it might be partially also a passion for the game and for your craft, but was that something where you just thought early on, I'm I'm all in and I'm 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 gonna out, try to outwork everybody? Yeah, I think it was, and and I am somebody that definitely, as you said, embraced all the multimedia parts of this. I still remember it as you were saying that uh, being at Nassau Coliseum covering the Panthers and doing a a um, I, I guess it would be Fox Sports uh, Florida hit down there or or, or uh, I forget what they used to call it down there. It's Sun something and um. I'm in the Zamboni entrance, and I literally almost got hit by a Zamboni doing this hit for, with Randy Muller down there. Um, so I was even doing TV and radio down in Florida. But when I moved to Minnesota, it was uh, it, it was like sort of the advent of like part in the interruption. And next thing I know, um, fifteen hundred, uh, which was the um, you know uh, the Hubbard station in Minnesota, um, they hired me to basically do, be a contributor. And next thing, the Wild uh, moved their rights to the fan. Uh, KFAN and I, I wound up going over there and then podcast start and I started dabbling in TV and to me that stuff makes it fun uh, you know I know I still always know what my day job is my day job is to break news and write quality features especially now at the athletic I'm given that platform um, but it's the other stuff that makes this job not get monotonous and I just I love that type of stuff um, I still remember growing up in New York and listening and wanting to be on the on WFAN and wanting to be on Z100 and WPLJ. I mean, I just, I still remember that as a kid. And here I am, I look back, you know, years and years later, and I wound up 
getting into this business and getting to do a little dabble in a little bit of everything, and I just absolutely love it. In a way, it hasn't the athletic and the the advent of the athletic, which you joined uh, early on, it almost kind of feeds right into that because people subscribe. So like on Long Island, when Arthur was on the beat until recently, <clears throat> Arthur Staple, people are like, all right, I'm going to subscribe to the athletic because Arthur Staple is there. It's a rare thing in this business. Uh, you 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 earn every writer subscriber you have. So I don't know if you ever planned on slowing down as you became more of a senior writer. Um, but did that just become like, oh boy, now you know you have to. You, is it possible you took it into another gear? Yeah, I think I did. I mean, you know, I, I am writing. Uh, you know, it's funny. I, 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 quantity, I'm writing probably a lot less than I did at newspaper quality or just length and you know um you know a lot more from that standpoint and that gets exhausting sometimes i'll be i'll be honest i mean you know you just feel like every story you write is two thousand three thousand words and and you're in the press box till 1 2 a.m and so that sometimes gets really really tiring but what the athletic really does is you know, I think at the at a time when I really needed it, when things were starting to get stale for me, they came along and offered me this incredible opportunity to go there and sort of start something, start the market in Minnesota, um, you know, help hire the people that I wanted to, to be on the team that I wanted to, and then, you know, join a type of pla- uh, type of writing, a long firm writing that I absolutely adore, and I think I've improved wholeheartedly because, as I said to you, um, you know, writing has never been my uh, one passion. Two cup of tea. I mean, do, uh, to me, I do this because I just love being a newspaper guy. And next thing I know, I'm working at this. Um, but as as you mentioned about, you know, people subscribing just for Arthur and now for Kevin Kurz, who does an incredible job, one of my closest friends. Um, that was the funniest thing. So when I went to, out to San Francisco to meet with the two co-founders at The Athletic, um, I was sitting on this couch in their office and they had this whiteboard up. And on there, it had next to it had these four or five different markets they were about to start up with Minnesota that they wanted to: St. Louis, Philadelphia, um, uh, uh, Minnesota, and there was one other, might have been New York. And next to Minnesota, it had the number forty five hundred. And at the end of the meeting, I said to Adam and Alex, um, "You know, what is the forty five hundred next to Minnesota?" And he goes, "Oh, that's that's what we hope uh, for you get number of subscribers by the end of the year." And I, I, my jaw dropped and I'm just telling you, I said, right, I'm telling you right now, if I come to work for you and I don't get 4,500 by the end of the first month, I, I don't want to do this job. Like I write to be read. I write for the reader. I want wild fans to read me to know what's going on with their team. And man, I, it was so humbling how many people um, subscribed to The Athletic within that first year. I mean, we were at 20 something thousand after one year of us starting The Athletic Minnesota. And, and so we basically times five what they originally had. And I think that is because Minnesota fans especially, they have this passion for reading. They have this passion for – they treat sports writers so well there. And um, we hired John Krasinski to cover the Timberwolves and a little bit of the Vikings too, and he is just a rock star in Minnesota. And it just added extra credibility to Minnesota, and then we slowly built up the staff to – just an incredible staff of sports writers that are and editors that are in Minnesota right now. Is is it possible that you uh, like that actor who gave up the opportunity to get points on a movie and took a straight salary? Is it possible you <laughs> you might have given up some negotiating power or like I, I would have been like okay, 
How about you guys give me X for every one <laughs> over 4,500? Um, yeah, um, we did at the very beginning have subscriber bonuses, and that quickly, uh, you know, they, they renegotiated, uh, let's put it that way. But, they got uh, smarter. I'll tell you what, the athletic has treated us well. Like, we all, everybody that works there, you know, had equity in the company, and when the New York Times just bought us, you know, we all got to payouts and things like that. And so, um, you know, uh, they have treated us incredibly well, but early on, uh, I think they even got a little nervous with the number of subscribers that we had in Minnesota based on just the bonuses that, you know, they had to pay out to guys like, you know, John Krasinski and myself. That's awesome. Do, um, besides, because you're all over the beat and you work hard at it, it just go, it would just show that, at least I guess my second tongue-in-cheek cynical question here is, the more somebody writes and talks, the more likely you're bound to irritate the, the guy on the fourth yeah. line who you said you know maybe needs to sit for a couple of games or I don't even know if you go there but what is let's talk about present tense pandemic COVID challenges aside uh, your relationship with the team and are you able to uh, patch things up if you know, yeah. or clear things up yeah I think uh, one I, I feel like if I'm if I'm critiquing these players and I'm asking them to be accountable for the way that they play, I better show up the next day and be accountable for what I write. I find that is one of the biggest differences in when I started to what now. If I pissed off a player years ago, I knew where I pissed them off. It was in the newspaper. It was something I wrote in the paper that they read that they got pissed about. Now, if, I, if a player has pissed with me, I could have pissed them off in like six different venues. You know, I, you know, like, was it the podcast that ticked you off? Was it something I said stupidly on a radio show? Is it something I said on, you know, like, it's probably not the athletic. Uh, you know, that's the one thing I have found. It's, it's usually something I tweet or something that I've said on the radio show, and, and that's when you get pissed off. But, you know, usually I, am, I have this ability, I've always had this ability to just, to me, um, treat people with respect. Try not to get personal at all. And if you want to talk to me, I'm there every day. And let's 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 chat. Let's have it out. Um, you know, last week, um, Connor McDavid, live on camera, said to Mark Spector, "Like, Spec, can I talk to you for a second? And fans around the hockey world went nuts. Like, like this was like the most abnormal thing ever. This stuff happens all the time. That just happened to be caught on there." And, you know, I actually feel bad for Spec because, again, in this day of social media, it went viral and people are acting like he got his, you know, his his behind slapped by McDavid. And maybe they did. I haven't talked to Spec. I'll see him next week when we're in Edmonton. And I'll ask him what happened. But, but like, this stuff happens all the time. And that, to me, is a healthy relationship between player and writer. And so, um, you know, I always feel it's imperative on me if I'm going to show up there, um, you know, or if I write. You know what taught me this, Chris? John Davidson. Hmm. Years and years and years ago, I wrote a column in Florida basically calling for Mike Keenan's job. And I remember John Davidson called me up that day and he goes, whoa, Roos, that is some column. You know, like, what are you going to do when Keenan sees you today? And I'm like, well, actually, I got the day off. And he goes, Mike, he goes, you got to go down there. I don't care if you don't write. I don't care if you, you know, if you're technically off, you got to show your face or he'll know forever that you cower into him. And I, I took that advice, and I've remembered it ever since. And I did go down there that day, and I sat in the scrum, and I asked questions, and I felt so much better about myself, like a man, when I left. And I think that ever since then, I have always remembered that even if I'm off that day, if I happen to hammer somebody in the paper or whatever, 
I try to show up the next day and at least show my face. No, it's amazing that you brought up the Spec McDavid incident, or not incident, but thing or misunderstanding. Uh, by the way, it was perceived uh, mostly by the fans because I had it on my list. Uh, because I had one incident with that at the Islanders, where uh, actually it was John Van Bees Van Beesbrook um, took it upon himself. I didn't know, but he. Uh, had a player come into the room and he made a big show in front of the rest of the team and it was wrong and i know the age-old argument among athletes is what well I, they showed me up in front of all their readers or in front of all their listeners uh and to which i, I just think there's a better way so when i saw the mcdavid yeah. thing it's one of those things I, I knew i could never really explain it well in a tweet but i did want to I, I felt I, I, I want I'm not posting anything I wanted to try to explain that that actually is the the right way to yep. do that did you and, you know in 1990 man not 98 I think uh these are um I, I covered a game in, against the Buffalo uh Sabres down at Miami Arena and these are they lost like 5-1 they pulled Beezer and I said something like he gave up three bad goals the next day of practice Beezer pulled me alone in the locker room and I was I mean, I was super young at the time, barely any experience, and I was very nervous walking in there with him. And, um, and he, he looked me in the eyes and he said, define a bad goal. And whether he believed it or not that I was right or wrong, I took all three goals that I thought were a bad goal and I explained to him why it was a bad goal. And I don't think it made it any better, but I think he at least respected that I stood up for what I said, that I didn't be like, no, you're right, it wasn't a bad goal, you know, like... And, I, and I'll never forget that as well. And I, I still don't know if these are love the conversation that he and I had. Um, but, but that is something you've just got to do. You've got to give these players the opportunity to, if they feel like you've unfairly, um, you know, criticized them, you've got to, you've got to do it. I in Florida, Brett Hedekin, somebody that didn't like something I wrote describing a goal. And he actually, I remember brought me to a whiteboard and, and diagrammed the play there. And I thought it was a great learning lesson for me. He was showing me like, no, you think I should have done this. But this is where in our system I'm supposed to be. And it was a great learning lesson for me. And it also showed me that sometimes I shouldn't assume that I know what I'm talking about as a layman. You know, like, you know, so, uh, you know, there are thousands of experiences like that, you know, that over the years, every day is a learning lesson. Every day is something uncomfortable, um, you know, that's never happened before in your career. Um, I've had a lot lately. (laughs) And and so, uh, you know, and, and, you know, it's, I just think it's important for young sports writers to always know that you should show up the next day. I love the Hedekin story, too, because that's just the ultimate respect, though, that he's, he's walking yeah. you through it. Um, did you say, how old did you say you you were when you started in the newspaper business? 15. I was so young that my, so... Um, how? I used to announce all the high school, uh, like, do the PA and keep score of all the high school games at Spanish River High School in Boca Raton. So I befriended all the local sports writers there. And um, so I they start I started basically answering calls and writing game stories at 15 years old. But I was so young, my stepfather, I, I had a permit at 15 years old to drive, but you weren't allowed to drive at night without an adult. So my stepfather used to come with me to these sporting events and then drive back with me to the Sun Sentinel or the Boca News, sit in the lobby and read a book while I was writing an article. And so it was, it was, it was uh, yeah, super young. Wow, I I, I had no idea and. So I, is there any, was there any concern about burnout? Like I, I'm, I'm kind of amazed by your story yeah. and your continued passion for it. Yeah. You know, I, 
Burnout, it's a good question. I mean, I, I don't know if it's the pandemic or what, but I, I mean, there has been, a, you know, the last couple of years, you start really thinking about the future, what you want to do next. Is there a next step in the athletic? Is there a next, do you want to just be a beat writer for the rest of your life? And when I say it like that, I definitely don't mean it flippantly because mm-hmm. this, this I've made it my career. I've had plenty of opportunities to write national columns. I I'm, Some people are just wired to cover one team for a long time. Um but there, with that does come burnout, and I will admit that social media is what's doing it to me. You just feel like you are never – two things. It's not just social media. It's also just the 24-7 news cycle. You feel like you are can never put your phone down. You know, it, I mean, I'm not kidding you. You take a shower and you're worried that if your phone's beeping that you, the team made a trade. And that becomes mentally exhausting. And, um, and same thing, like if you want to just take your mind off the team one day, but then you just scroll through your phone. Next thing, somebody asks you a trade question on Twitter or rips into you on Twitter. Um, you can never just turn it off. And um, so that that this has been a, a it's been a long, fun career. Um, but I don't I don't see myself being Sid Hartman. Let's put it that way. Like you know, I, I um there's just going to have to come a point where it's like you know I can go to sleep and just feel like comfortable to actually sleep through the night. And, like that. What about the? I guess I'm just taking a turn, but out of concern, you're you're going to be a uh, an honored Hall of Fame member at some point. Uh, whether you, if you never wrote another story after we do this interview, but could you? Uh, how about vacation or even you know mid? <laughs> like could you walk away for a week? Uh, and maybe the athletic. I don't actually don't know. Like, does Kevin have a backup if he doesn't? Yeah. And, and but or, or is it like Bob? You know, Bob McKenzie and Pierre on July one, they're off to the cottage. You know, like, <laughs> like, is there something? I, I do there? envy that. I'll tell you. <laughs> um, yeah. But but can you find breaks in a season, or is it just August pandemic? Weird long seasons. Yeah, I think it's just the way I'm wired. Like the athletic would gladly let me unplug if they could and got get somebody to just sort of you know cover the team uh, I'm, i am one of those people if i go on vacation um i am constantly still wired to my phone and if you know i've written stories from hawaii cabo cancun europe um you know i still remember sitting in a internet cafe on on free agency a day after the 2005 lockout writing about joe newendike and gary roberts signing with the panthers you know like I, I just I can't I can't just not do it. Um, so uh, you know that's more me and my fault rather than the athletic. No, but, I get uh, it. And, and listen, yeah. if it's something big, you want to be there, right? That's yeah. why that's part part of the the love of it. I, I get it. I do hope though that 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 you you know should it be better for you for the long run uh, that that you take that time. You grew up on Long Island. And it was like, wow, what are like, you know, mid 70s to mid to late 80s. If you're going to live on Long Island and be a hockey fan and an Islander yeah. fan, you, you know, and by the way, I'm blessed too. I, I live here my whole life, but the, my prime teenage fan years, they won the Stanley Cup every year. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. I, I always say I, w- I wish they had won more when I worked there, but I would still <laughs> rather have had those cups when I was, you really love it and go to the parades and all that. So, but how did that team and Long Island kind of shape your career? Yeah. You know, obviously I was super young, but I used to go to this, this summer camp and day school called Green Hill. And it was in, it was in um, Woodbury. And I used to literally sneak out of camp with my friends. when We would watch like Brian Trottier and Danny Potvin and, and Clark Gillies and all these guys come home from practice and we get their autographs and we 
rubbish through their trash and I mean all that stuff. I, I mean I was very very young, but I'll never forget that. And I, I, I Dwayne Sutter was my favorite player growing up. Um, I was a huge Mike, Mike Bossy fan, but even in like like I've always been this guy. Like when I was an Expos fan, like I loved all the stars, but Tim Wallach was my favorite player. And I always it was same thing on the on the Islanders. Like I loved Bossy, I loved Trottier, I loved you know Denny, but Dwayne Sutter was my guy, and I got to know him and I still know him extremely well and it's still one of my greatest roles I got to cover him as a coach and a scout and a long time assistant coach with the Florida Panthers um but I was I was just it ingrained itself in me you know I remember when they were you know when when the games were on sports channel we didn't have cable and we used to have to go to our friend's house and they had a little big screen and we watched Jigs McDonald's do Jigs McDonald's do games and same thing I got to work with Jigs in Florida and I honestly I remember doing this sitting down with him and doing this feature and all I wanted to do I was like Chris Farley like remember when you, did, you know like oh, how cool is that you know like I just uh I just I loved it and um and so I think that even though I was very young I moved to Florida when I was 12 and I just missed hockey there was no hockey down there I paid attention to the Islanders I used to get the paper every day and look at their box scores because I was pre-internet and um that's how I got into it. Like in the in like the early two thousands, when I was a young sports writer at the at the Sun Sentinel, there was a minor, minor, minor league up in West Palm Beach called the Sunshine Hockey League. There were four teams in Jacksonville, Daytona Beach, West Palm Beach, and Lakeland, Florida. Bill Naira, who played for the Montreal Canadiens and Minnesota Nordstars, was from Edina, Minnesota. He was the commissioner of the league, owner of the West Palm franchise, GM of the West Palm franchise, and coach of the West Friend. West Palm franchise, so he stacked his team with all the best players in the league, and they won three straight Sunshine Cups, and I would go there every game and cover them and write these 20-inch articles for the Sun Sun, and they'd cut it to one inch or sometimes never run it or sometimes run three inches. It was just hilarious, and I did it for free, and they had to be like, who is this Russo guy sending us 20-inch West Palm? But I, but Naira loved it. He just loved that I had this passion for it, and he really took me under his wing. And then when the Panthers came down there, I was just like, I've got to figure out a way to cover this team. And I was that one in the newsroom. I, every time they needed somebody to cover practice or be the backup or run quotes, I was raising my hand and I was backup to backup to backup. Oh five to oh seven. They finally made me the, the, the actual beat writer. Ninety three, ninety seven, probably yep. nineteen. Yep. Yeah, um, yeah, ninety three. You're right. Yeah, yeah. That's how that's how we're that's how old we're getting, Mike. We 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 move these these timelines up, right? We make them more yeah, recent. Yeah. And yeah, Sunshine Hockey would have been the early nineties. Oh my 90, god. 90, yeah. Um, Man, I am uh, I am totally like I've, I said. You, I started off by I started off by saying you've been at this for more than a yeah. quarter century plus. More hockey press pass with Michael Russo and Chris Botta next. We want to welcome HelloFresh uh, to the sponsorship of our podcast, HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Go to HelloFresh.com slash PressPass16 and use code PressPass16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. With HelloFresh, you get farm fresh 
pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your doorstep. Skip trips to the grocery store and count on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. That's why it's America's number one meal kit. HelloFresh has fit and wholesome recipes for satisfying and nutritious meals that you can feel good about with six recipes per week to choose from, including low-calorie and carb-conscious options. My family and I, we got the fit and wholesome meals uh, the other day, and they have been fantastic. They save us a lot of time. One of the great things about HelloFresh is you can easily customize your order online or in the app. That's what we did. You can change your delivery day, your food preferences. You can even skip a week whenever you need to. It cuts back on time spent in the kitchen with meals ready in around 30 minutes or less. And it's 72% cheaper than a restaurant meal of the same quality. So, listeners, please uh, give your thanks back to HelloFresh. Uh, do this for me if you would consider. If you enjoy the podcast, go to HelloFresh.com slash PressPass16 and use code PressPass16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. That's HelloFresh.com slash PressPass16 and use code PressPass16. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. Main Street Board Game Cafe in Huntington Village on Long Island's North Shore. Games for sale and games for play. Food and drink, beer and wine, fun and friends. Bring the magic of phones down, eyes up, tabletop board games to your family. Their staff will help you find the right board game for you. From card and party games to games for families to strategy games, we have it all. Get off your screens and unplug your game for a night your family will remember. Looking for groups to join? Our Magic, The Gathering, Dungeons & Dragons, or Warhammer communities are welcoming for all. Located at 307 Main Street in Huntington Village. Go to MainStreetBoardGameCafe.com for more information. Main Street Board Game Cafe. Find your crowd. Unplug your game. And did it mean something that, like, I don't, you know, you talked about the interactions and the, the garbage. I don't know if you went to Kaniac Park. Uh, you saw the guys yeah. at their house. But, I mean, the thing that is said about them, and I say, yes, okay, they won a lot, so it's easier. But but Nystrom, uh, the, the late, yeah. beloved Clark Gilly, is like, like, in a sport where we say too often that guys are good or good dudes or good guys, like, these were really tremendous people and i wonder yeah. if that impacted you too that, that, that these i were, think so these i were... mean you know um i i, I when i covered eric nystrom in, in mm-hmm. minnesota i covered i i talked to him a lot a lot about that and he was telling me stories of, of these guys and things like that and i do think it it resonated itself but i think that you know even though it was back in the day and age where you where you know it was hard to get news about these guys you just fell in love with that team and i was a young paper boy for the sun for the for Newsday. 11 years old it was it was an afternoon paper i'd come home from school it'd be sitting on my matlin middle school i went to and i'd come home and sit on my driveway and i would i would honestly during my paper route just read all the islander coverage in the in the sun in the news day and i do think that years later i mean i look back at that a lot and have those memories of how much i just i knew this you know i, I just i read everything and I do wonder if that sort of like led me into this path, you know, um, it's the same thing, you know, quick story, you know, an amazing story. So covering the Panthers and, um, I'm driving from New York city to Long Island to cover, you know, like after a Ranger game, it's like probably the set uh, front of in a second back to back. So it's like 
like 12, 30, 1 a.m. driving, and I'm listening to Z100, and I'm listening to this this DJ named Scotty B. And I'm like, and I the whole drive to the Long Island area, and I'm remembering how me and my friend Scott Bowden, I'm like having all these memories, and my friend Scott Bowden wanted to be in media and pretending we were DJs as a kid, and we had this radio station WMBR, and every day after my paper route, we would pretend we were DJs. And I'm just, I'm thinking about this whole story. He, was, he lived across the street from me. And all of a sudden, like, he comes back on. He's like, this is Scotty B, blah, 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 blah. And I'm just like, I wonder if this is Scott Bowden. And I call up Z100 at, like, 1 a.m. And I'm like, and he's like, Z100. I'm like, hey, is this Scotty B? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, you wouldn't happen to be Scott Bowden, would you? And he goes, yeah, I am. I'm like, dude, this is Mike Russo, like, your best friend as a kid. And I'm listening to him do, do it. And I just think how neat it is that both he is still at z100 he's been on the z morning zoo forever um you know i think it's something like 30 like as long as i've been a sports writer yeah. he's been on z100 and i just think it's amazing that two kids that grew up on beatrice lane and olga page that used to play dj and you know are both in this media business years later it's just crazy to me. that's a wild story i didn't know that yeah. about, about scott Bowden. and then lastly i mean not only do the panthers arrive i remember being at the expansion draft and being like oh they got the better guy oh the panthers yeah. got the better guy what does clarky have you know they, oh, they got scroodland and, and and not to say they were loaded nothing compared to vegas right uh yeah yeah but but how special was that to cover? And again, talk about a unique yeah. cast of characters too. Uh, yeah. That that team was filled with them. So what was that experience like? It was incredible. I mean, those players. I am. There's still a bond with those guys today. Um, you know, I, I can't tell you how tight I am with still so many of those players on that team. You know, we're going to see Dave Lauer here in Winnipeg tomorrow, and um, you know, I mean, I, I still talk to Scott Melody all the time, and Tom Fitzgerald, and Bill Lindsay, and all those guys, and. Um, Rob Niedermer. It's, it was just, it was a really cool, cool group with a great front office too. Like I get there as a former Islander fan and Bill Torrey is the president and Billy Smith is the goalie coach and Danny Poppins, the color analyst and Dwayne Sutter's the assistant coach. And I'm just like, this is, this is like heaven for me as an old Islander fan. And then you get to meet these incredible characters in the locker room too, the Jovos and the Warners and the Paul Lawses and the you know, it, it was just on and on and on. Jody Hall, Mike Huff. It was just crazy. And I can uh, it's amazing to me. I can name I feel like I can name more guys yeah. from that team than just about any team. It's just certain teams yeah. just stick with you, you know? I see Johan Garpenlov all the time. He's Swedish GM and I mean it's it really was a special team and then they go to the Stanley Cup final the third year. But the other really cool thing is that so I had Doug McLean as the first ever coach that I I I, I uh, covered. And I'm still super tight with him today. And he really, in a lot of ways, took me under um, his wing and really taught me the sport. Like, he jokes when he when I, I'm on with him, and like, he taught me offsides and icings. I promise you I knew that. But he really taught me what it's like to cover a coach and ask questions and what's going to tick a coach off and whatnot. And then I had Brian Murray there, who was the GM of the team, that I ghost wrote a column for him in the Sun Sentinel too. So I got all this at 21 years old, this one-on-one -on -one time with the GM. It was a dream as a young sports writer. And so, um, you know, and Brian was a mentor to me, even though I covered him for a long, long time. He just, he always treated me really, really respectfully. And when you're super young and you're not very confident, you remember the people that don't treat you like a child. And that was the one thing. I, I'll never forget the players that treated me well, and I'll never forget the players that didn't treat me well. And, and 
you know, there's just always something to that in your head. You just remember that stuff. And so it was, it was truly, um, if it wasn't for the guys on that team and the, the, the players I covered, um, I don't think I'd be doing this today because I just loved it. You know, you, it's, it's true. When you deal with hockey players, they are just great people to deal with. And, and I just, I loved every day going to practice and shooting the breeze with these guys. Uh, it's beautifully said. Uh, you mentioned it in David Neal and uh, David J. Neal and uh, paying it forward. Are you able to, or do you have thoughts on, on, on how maybe you could do that for the next generation of writers? Yeah. I mean, I'm always open. Like I, that's the one thing I remember because I started so young. I'm always open to meeting with kids, uh, talking to college kids, high school kids, whatever. Um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of interviews. I mean, it's almost weekly where I'm meeting with somebody or doing a zoom or, or something like that. And so I always feel like it's incumbent on me to try to do this. Um, if you, if, if some, you know, young, young guy or girl has respect for me, I feel like I owe it to them to be able to give them advice and things like that. Um, and then in terms of young sports writers, like especially at the athletic, we have so many talented young uh, sports writers, um, you know, uh, you know, Shana Halley and Peter Ba and, um, you know, Saad down in Dallas. And I, I try to be a mentor to a lot of these people on staff. I'm somebody that a lot of people on our staff can lean on. And same thing in the wild press box. Dave Mizzitani, young, uh, he's not even young anymore. He's 30, but this kid is super, super talented talented and i you know try to you know same thing you know be somebody that, that he could chat with on anything and it's and in a lot of ways i mean we've become such good friends it's sort of vice versa so i just think that it's important for veteran sports writers to you know you know it's funny just uh, real quick so like the, to me what makes the minnesota wild super impressive right now is that they've got a lot of veterans on that team that are watching these young kids come into that locker room that could take their job and they don't care you know that matt boldy's come up he's number one power play unit from guys and they, they they welcome him they they because he's all about winning and to me that is important from a veteran sports writer too i think too many sports writers worry about losing their job or or somebody else taking their beat or something like that and i just think it's important for all of us to not take ourselves too seriously and try to help people out that want to do this job uh, that's the fun stuff and i love what's going on at the wild they're a team i put on and watch and now it's boldy and happy for bill garen and really i'm happy it's corny as hell but i'm happy for the fans there you talk about yeah. a place where it means everything right it, it, it's so yep. it's so great i saw it with yeah, the, wild fans deserve a uh, they, a long long playoff run they, sure. they're an easy team to root for an easy fan base to root for especially if the Islanders are not gonna uh, be full participants in this uh, in this tough season uh, in addition to everybody who you try to help either as a mentor i mean the one thing that i'll just end with this is is to anybody listening out there who does tune into this show that i started to talk about these kind of things i actually don't i'm not going to ask mike about advice like i do a lot of people what i would suggest to you is literally read mike all the time and follow his stuff you do it the right way. You've done it for a long time. And not, I don't mean to say that you're old. I mean, you, somehow you've been able to keep this pace up and energy and passion for the game for a really long time. And you earn the respect of your peers and the players and the coaches. Uh, you've, you've just done incredible work. And whether it's somebody wants to cover another sport, uh, you're somebody whose stuff they should just be reading regularly, in this case, at The Athletic. So... Thank you so much for doing this. Uh, I yeah, Chris, I, this was a this was a lot of fun. I, I really really appreciate it. Thanks, bud. Uh, have a great one and see you down the road. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Thanks, man. Wow, what a great episode with Michael Russo. We thank him again for 
dropping by to spend some time. And that'll do it for this episode of Hockey Press Pass. For everybody on the HPP family, Ksenia, Danny, and of course, Chris, I'm Pat Boyle. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you on the next episode of Hockey Press Pass.